Nevada was one of those really scary and yet thrilling portions of the trip. The hero ventures into the region of supernatural wonder. Fabulous forces are there encountered. Nevada felt like the Wild West. Like you could go basically anywhere. You could get lost and die just about anywhere. You, it was very elemental. You know, you had wide open stretches of desert, endless sunlight, tons of heat, but also the basin and range that was just captivatingly beautiful. The exposure of sunlight and solitude would begin to peel away at Matt. He and Smokey were headed into some of the most punishing conditions they would face across the country. It would reveal to them the need for two basic elements to sustain life and a journey of this magnitude, human connection and water. This is Ride of Passage. I'm Laura Weber Davis. Chapter Four, The Desert. The benchmarks across Nevada, I mean, there's just so many that it's really difficult to quantify because that's when I really started. That's like when the trip felt really real. On the leeward side of the Sierra Nevada mountain range, Matt had gone around the upscale community of Lake Tahoe that rests at the shared border of California and Nevada. At the base of the mountains was Carson City, where Matt planned to meet up with his dad. The American Discovery Trail was fairly well articulated around that area. But but again, I mean, I had to deviate from the ADT fairly significantly. The distance from Lake Tahoe to Carson City was 20 miles, a day and a half away. I had to go where it was safe for the horse, which usually meant near water. And in most instances, the ADT was originally charted for bicyclists or hikers. So there's just no no water really to be had in many, many stretches. Matt was excited to see his dad in Carson City, maybe relax a little. But they had a problem to solve, the desert. That's when we started investigating like water drops in earnest. I am uh, Bill Parker and uh, Matt Parker's father. We, we uh, had taken a, a little preliminary ride without the horse or anything uh, out and just to check out the landscape. And we realized there's no water out here. There's no forage uh, for a horse. There's n- nothing to eat or drink. Matt and Bill developed a plan for water drops. They got a bunch of five-gallon jugs in Carson City and filled them with a garden hose. From there, Bill would bury about 10 to 15 gallons of water and a couple flakes of alfalfa hay at spots throughout the desert. I didn't know how far we'd have to go, but I thought, well, okay, well, uh, I can do this until we get, until Matt gets to some area closer to civilization. They planned to launch the water drops from a community northeast of Carson, 
Virginia City. And that would be the last time they'd see each other for months. On a dirt road outside of Virginia City, they said goodbye. Matt getting back on the American Discovery Trail and Bill scouting locations to bury water and hay. He was on the road for, you know, a couple weeks. About every 20 to 25 miles, I would uh, dig a hole, put it in the water, and uh, big flakes of uh, hay. Uh, And it had to cover it up because otherwise... uh, in some areas, wild, wild horses would come along and eat the hay if you just had left it sitting out there. And so I would send the GPS coordinates to Matt. Those GPS coordinates would put you within about a 10, 15-foot radius of the exact spot where I had dug the hole. So the first water drop that my dad had made was at a campsite. It was one of those really sweet poignant moments because my dad had found <laughs> he had found the latest Harry Potter book at that time at the time you know that that book coming out was like the biggest thing that year order of the phoenix had come out that week and bill left matt a copy at the water drop along with a fresh banana for a snack those two things their own tiny oasis in the middle of the desert. It could be a, a emotional, I guess, you know, to, to know that you could be out in the middle of nowhere and you look around and you're like, geez, there's nothing alive out here. You know, you're in the middle of absolute nowhere, but you know you have coordinates that you're looking for, like out in the sagebrush and you go there and you like, you know, dig up, you know, a water drop and you realize that your dad was out there in the middle of nowhere too, you know, doing the same exact thing. So that was... That was really very cool um, and sort of, a, you know, a complex series of emotions. It's a pretty inhospitable stretch of desert between Virginia City and Middlegate Station. Distance to Middlegate, 108 miles, about a week's ride. The vast expanse of land lay before them. The lushness of pinyon pines and quaking aspen remained in the mountain range behind them. They could see out for many miles, maybe even more than they could ride in a single day. They paralleled Route 50, otherwise known as the loneliest road in America. They passed through the small city of Fallon. They passed by a lone brothel, white with lime green trim in the flats of Salt Wells. They passed small Mustang herds grazing in the distance. Traveling along Route 50, you could go long stretches of time without seeing a soul. And so it was notable when a truck hauling a trailer slowed ever so slightly as it passed by. He had a dually pickup truck with a gooseneck trailer, with a red gooseneck trailer on it, and he was, he was hauling I-beams. And I was on the side of Route 50 on my way to Middlegate, and it was super-duper hot. 
in the full sun of the day and my water was running out and what little I had was like 120 degrees and I was drinking it out of a straw. And I was, I was really getting burnt up and tired. And that's why when I finally got to Middlegate, like by the time I got to Middlegate, I, you know, <laughs> I looked so bad. I was very sunburned, like from my nose on down, um, you know, to the point where I, I think I look sort of like the archetypal, you know, desert wanderer, you know, like very, very chapped lips, like looking, looking not great. Matt and Smokey arrived at Middlegate. It was a roadhouse rest stop with a sagebrush saloon and a burger worthy of county bragging rights. It was hard to really know what separated the bar from the gas station, from the motel, all in the same community footprint. Matt and Smokey spent a couple days resting there. The road ahead led them to a living ghost town of Ione. The distance from Middlegate to Ione, 39 miles a two- to three-day ride. Ione rendered the Middlegate station a veritable metropolis. The one saloon was owned by a nice couple with a few head of buffalo out back. The buffalo and the owners of the buffalo were the only ones living in Ione, as far as Matt could tell. Matt felt increasingly disconnected from any semblance of home. My brother wanted to come out and visit me. He wanted to try and get to Carver's, Nevada. That looked like the closest place that was of any population that both of us could get to. And Carver's is a uh, mining town, but it's a modern mining town. The Round Mountain Gold Mine is in Carver's. And it's a giant, giant open pit mine. And it has this sort of manufactured little city there. It was literally a man-made gold mining community. That's Matt's older brother, Chris. Right, They had built a town around this giant gold mine, um, complete with schools and a medical center and uh, I think a community, literally a community pool. So at any rate, I left Ione, and, and the distance from Ione to Carver's was and still is the longest distance I rode on the horse trip in one day, and it damn near killed me. It was 56 miles. I tried to average between 15 and 25 miles a day. As time went on, I found the closer I approached to 30 miles in a day, like if I started to, like if I was on the edge of like 30 and beyond, the likelihood of something bad happening seemed to go up exponentially. But Matt wanted to see Chris and committed himself to the 56 miles, all in one day. It's, it's a rare thing, I think, for most people to get to the point where they know they have nothing left in the tank. And that was one of the things I actually wanted to find out about myself on this trip. I wanted to know like what a real limit was. And that was one of those days. Mm-hmm. 
I got to I got into Carver's and I was so exhausted. Was it dark? Yes. Yeah. 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 It was I was so exhausted. I had blisters on the bottoms of my feet. Each foot, I think, had had at least three blisters. One foot, I think, had four or five, and and they were like the size of quarters. And you had walked most of the way then? On the way down. Yeah. Yes, on the way down. Because, again, like, I wasn't trying, you know, the, the Smokey and I had been through a journey together that particular day. So I would walk, you know, I, if I was riding for 20 miles, I would try to walk 10, you know, or something. I'd always be next to him and, and just leading him, you know, to give him a break. When I finally pulled in, there was there was a um, I remember tying Smokey up before when I was gonna go into the bar, and I the door opened, and as I was about to open the door, some guy opened the door, and the door opened inward, and he took one look at me, and I was still wearing my gun belt and looking <clears throat> crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I just looked crazy, and and he was like, oh. Sh- and he slammed the door on me, you know. And then I just like, you know, after that, I was like, just kind of waited there. And I was so freaking tired. Like, I just, my feet were so swollen. Like, I didn't want to take my boots off because I knew if I took them off, I wouldn't be able to get them back on. It was hot. It was dry. It, it was desolate. And I think that that, he was very, very, very tired. I went and got a, there was a motel and I stayed in that, in the bathtub the next day, like all day. Like I didn't get out of the bathtub all day and like the blisters on my feet were terrible. Like I couldn't walk right for days after that. And I think I just, I overdid it. He had lost weight. He had uh, at that point realized that he was probably going to do a lot more walking than riding, just grueling. The brothers spent one day together talking at the motel about the journey so far and the difficulty of the trail in Nevada. That was all that time could afford. Chris had to get back to San Jose for work. And I was feeling, you know, when he left and went, you know, was driving home, Again, it, it was one of those, like, sort of watershed moments of the trip because, you know, on the one hand, you're, you know, like, in Virginia City saying goodbye to my dad, like, that, you know, that was a little bit difficult. And this was another one. This one, this one I think I was the loneliest because I figured, well, you know, I'm not going to see anybody I know for a very, very, very long time, which, which was the case. The arid, rolling hills east of Carver's were covered in sagebrush. There were enough mice to keep the rattlesnakes fat and happy. Matt looked out over miles of uninhabited wilderness and began to pine for home. Maybe not his home, but a home. Over the scorching hours of midday, he built the home in his mind. A log cabin with a yard. A little mountain place. As he dreamed, he worked his way up into the Tokima mountain range. Quaking aspens and pinyon pines once again dappled the landscape with shade. And then, amid the daydream, another fantasy emerged. A truck. A real truck. 
in the distance. This red Dodge Dakota pickup truck, I can see it kind of like it'll go over a rise and then disappear under the horizon, then go over a rise. And and I could see it like slowly getting closer to me. And then they pulled over next to me. They said, what are you doing out here? You know, kind of a thing. And I said, my name is Matt Parker. I'm riding my horse across the United States. Like that's what I always said to new people I would meet. And I said, is, is there like a homestead or anything near here? Like I'm, I'm trying to navigate which way to go on the fork of this road. And they said, we're not from here, but we just got done at a party. And if you go up this road, you'll see a house and you, it's, you can't mistake it. There's a house up there. And I said, okay, you know, I was like, great. So I go up there and, and sure enough, you know, hour or so later, as I make my way up this sort of winding dirt road, there is this like pretty as a picture cabin up there and it's got grass in the front yard. And it had um, like an old, old picket fence with boots upside down on it. (laughs) And like, you know, rattlesnakes stuck to it. And I hear all this commotion, you know, it was like carrying on, people hanging out and stuff. There's cars all over the place. These kids come around the house and they're playing football. And then they, they ran away and they said, Oz, there's a man at the front door and he's got a gun <laughs> and he this guy Oz uh, came around the corner and, and he looked at me and he said I know you he said I saw you on the side of Route 50 like last week The truck near Middlegate hauling I-beams on a gooseneck trailer. The one that had slowed just a bit. And he said, I saw your saddlebags and I knew you were on a journey. I knew you were going someplace real far. And he said, you had this look in your eyes and you were looking down the road and I could tell that you were on some big long journey. Like you weren't just some rancher that was out there. And he saw me, and I remember him slowing down and us both looking at each other. So here comes this young man up the driveway, and he's riding this black saddle horse. And this is a tired young man. This is Oz Wickman. He was beat. He was tired. But his saddle horse looked like it had been on a walk in the park. You have to put miles and days on a saddle horse to understand how fast that they lose weight when you really put them to work. And his saddle horse was well cared for. Its feet were good. And that young man, I've run the numbers over the last few days. He was probably in the order 400 miles of trails in at at that time. So that saddle horse to be in that good shape, in my mind, spoke volumes about his character. Oz and his wife welcomed Matt into their home, just like the one Matt had daydreamed of in the desert heat. It was a cabin, but he said he built it out of the Nevada state tree, which was telephone poles. <laughs> so, And his house was like this perfect, you know, tongue and groove, gorgeous cabin. 
have built everything here from scratch. My father and I and my wife and kids, uh, we stacked up the house and set the ridge pole in 18 days. And then the following year, I completed the structure and, and moved in. Um, and it's just a nice, quiet place to live. They had all the comforts of home, completely off-grid. No power went there, no water went there, and they ran everything off of solar, and they had a little generator for what they needed, and he had everything he wanted. And they were two of the nicest, nicest people I ever met. And I asked him, I said, I said, I hate to ask, I said, do you know of any place I can camp around here? And he said, hell yeah, I know where you can camp. He was like, there's a paddock around the corner, get your horse, you know, get that saddle off your horse, go put him in there. Go grab yourself a plate. We're having a 4th of July party. Well, I'm the youngest of 11 kids, and so I got this ginormous family. And when Matt rode in here, we were having a family function, probably a wedding. You know, who knows? I, I've lost track of how many people have been married at the spring in the yard. We invite, you know, their friend, local friends and stuff that come, and I butcher a beef and do a half a beef in a, in a deep pit and feed the masses, and it's a kind of a thing that we do here. And so sure enough, like I go around the corner and there's like tables spread with food and it's like potluck. And I'm just, it, it's like I'd arrived on Mars. Like I was like, oh my God. And everybody just surrounds me and they're like, you know, slapping your back. Hey, what, you know, what's going on? Like it was like the most fun Ever. I went from the lowest point on the trip, or one of the lower points on the trip, to all of a sudden being welcomed by this family and all of their friends. And we stayed up playing music all night and singing songs and, you know, carrying on all late. And I just had a wonderful, wonderful time. But before any of that had happened, I had been like sort of dreaming about that exact thing. I was like, it'd be so nice if there was a cabin and a family and a place I could put my horse. And it'd just be, and like, as the dream, it's like the dream like manifested it in a way. You know, I'm not a, <clears throat> I'm not much of a spiritual man, but I do believe strongly and demonstrate every day that it doesn't cost anything to be kind to people. For Matt, the Wickman's grace and goodness on this merciless and punishing journey represented something more significant. Like, I would say I don't have much proof for the existence of God in the wider world. And that that does make me somewhat, somewhat cynical. But I would say if this journey was of, was of any guide, which I think it is, I found infinite proof for the existence of God on this journey. And this is one of those examples. Matt's encounter with loneliness wasn't over, but meeting people full of kindnesses, large and small, was quickly becoming as important as water and the trail itself. He would also soon learn that not everyone was full of that generous spirit. I was standing sort of out in the front yard waiting for him. You know, I think I had a smile on my face. And before the car even stopped, 
his door was open and he had hopped out of it and the car was still coasting. And he started cursing me up and down. That's next time on Rite of Passage. I'm Laura Weber Davis. Special thanks to podcast editor Rachel Ishikawa. The Rite of Passage theme was written and performed by Bob Scon. Additional music from Blue Dot. Thanks for listening. <laughs>